This morning we're going to be talking about another sibling rivalry at the beginning, Viking burial practices, which is kind of fun, and wise and foolish financial practices. So in our passage for this morning, Jesus is going to be forced into some family drama, not the first time. A couple of weeks ago, it was really similar. Um, but the fighting this time is over inheritance. So I was just having some fun, and I learned that in the next 30 years, there'll be $30 trillion of inherited money. It's a lot of money. There's this comedian, Matt Fulworth. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of him. Wolfarth, I think is how you say his name. I don't know what I just said the first time. <laughs> He's not going to listen to this podcast anyway, so I don't have to worry about it. Um, but he starts this one comic routine. Do you remember those Hooked on Phonics commercials where there's a will, there's an A? Um, I used to love those. Um, this guy starts a comic routine. Is, uh, he says, where there's a will, there's a family fighting over it. Um, and so here's an ancient Viking tradition that I think could solve all of our problems. Um, so when a Viking king or wealth, wealthy business owner died, they and their treasure would all be placed on their ship. And then they would light their ship on fire and send it out to sea. Um, and everything would be lost. And so if like a Viking son or daughter wanted um, some, some treasure, they're going to have to strike out in true Viking fashion and pillage and steal it for themselves. <laughs> they were not going to get it inherited from their uh, father. And so this would cut down on family drama, but the truth is it's not the way of 21st century Western culture. It's also not Jesus' way. Uh, Jesus' way is a little bit different. And so my dad is, loves to say this. He says to my brother and I all the time, he's like, don't expect anything in inheritance because your mother and I have been busy spending it for years. Um, he's having fun, but the truth is it's not easy to talk about wealth. It's not easy to talk about money with our families or uh, in the church. Um, but here's the thing. When you think about this subject matter, what person do you know that is not concerned about money or the future, what the future holds for your family? Every one of us is concerned about this, right? We all care about this subject matter. And the thing is, Jesus cares about it too. And so he's going to share this parable about a farmer who in some ways was really wise and in other ways was really foolish. So may we learn from the master how to maximize the wise and shed the foolish. Let's pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love and strength to follow the path that you place us on through Jesus Christ. Amen. Here we go. Luke 12, 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, friend, who set me to be a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them a parable, the land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this, I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. 
the word of the Lord. So Luke, more than any other gospel writer, is concerned with money, with stuff, and our relationship to it, concerned with the pitfalls that trap us when the relationship with our stuff gets out of whack. And so Jesus is in this large crowd when this desperate man interrupts and demands that he arbitrate on his behalf so that his brother will give him his rightful inheritance. This was actually a really common practice in Jesus' day. Rabbis were used to being called upon to settle these kinds of family disputes. Jesus is no ordinary first century rabbi. He refuses to meddle in family affairs, um, but he does have something, and it's interesting that he calls this guy friend, right? So just don't, don't let that pass you by. He calls him friend. And so, how about this question? The title of this parable, anybody know what this is called off the top of their head? It's the parable of the foolish, what is it? The rich fool, okay? So what do we learn if we just go by this title alone, the parable of the rich fool? What are our assumptions? There should be two huge ones. <laughs> he's rich and he's foolish, right? Um, and it's like just from the title alone. Now, no, judgments, so when we say he's rich and he's foolish, do we make judgments? Assessments, good. Okay, good choice of words there. Carefully, carefully thought of, yes. We make some assessments quickly on the fly when we hear those two words. He's rich and he's foolish. We have something in mind. Honestly, I think we need to assess this guy fairly and honestly because, uh, yes, he demonstrates some foolishness, which we're going to look at, but here's the thing. This is, this is, it's, it's really important to note this. This farmer is not called wicked. He's not portrayed as bad. He's not a bad dude. This is really important biblically because it, what it means is that he hasn't obtained his wealth illegally. He hasn't obtained his uh, wealth by taking advantage of others. If he had, if he had risen, on the, risen the ranks on the backs of other people, the Bible would not call him foolish. They would call him wicked. It's a really important and so the farmer comes into this bumper crop. He has a good year, and he has a serious problem. Like, he has insufficient storage, you know? Um, it's not like today. We have Hollywood storage right across the street. We've got one on every corner. Uh, this guy doesn't have that, that option. And so, like, how many, this is what I, where my mind goes. Like, I'd love to have this guy's problems, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'd trade some of mine for this one. Um, how many of us would not like to have this guy's problems, right? We have so much, we're so successful and we have so much money that the banks can't even hold it, you know? Um, how's he going to handle, how's he going to handle this situation? These are some important questions. What kind of person is he going to be through it all? Really important. He has to choose. And so before we give him the beat down for his foolishness, which we will, uh, let's first admit the ways in which this farmer gets it right and shows some wisdom. Here's a couple of them. He started a business. Like, this is no dummy, okay? Not only did he start a business, he has started a very successful business. That takes some wisdom. He's at least trying to be responsible and as he plans for the future. He's thinking about this stuff. What am I going to do? I've got all this stuff. I've got a plan for my future. Look, this isn't, this guy's not all bad. He's done some pretty, some pretty good things. It's taken some wisdom to get to where he is. 
And so you start to look at it. Does Jesus hold these things against him? Is this what the problem is? Does Jesus say that his abundant crop is the problem? Or that his wealth has made him foolish? It's not what Jesus says. So the farmer would probably make a really good financial advisor, right? This guy's pretty smart. And so when I remember, like, when we were first married and we had kids, we weren't giving our future a lot of thought, right? Like, we were, we were trying to keep our head above water, you know, like, be able to pay the rent, pay for the diapers and baby food and whatever. It's like saving for our future. When we were first married, that was like something that we would do when we got older. Well, we must officially be old because we talk about it all the time. <laughs> I just called you old. My bad. I am officially old, and you are not. Um, but we talk about this all the time. It's really important stuff. About, I don't know how many years ago we did this. A few people in here actually did it with us. Maybe 10 years ago or so, we jumped into this course called Crown Ministries. Anybody heard of it? Remember that? Yeah, we did this. Um, I did not want to do it. I'm not going to lie. Um, it's this course on money, and I literally did go kicking and screaming. First of all, because I'm not that interested in numbers, and money doesn't interest me that much. Um, it interests me more as I've gotten older, uh, but it interested me less back then. Um, and the second thing is because it was on a week, it was like a weekend night, um, and I had to give up all these weekend nights, and I worked a lot, of, I work a lot of nights anyway, and I wasn't excited about giving up these uh, weekend nights because that would minimize our dinners at the Latigo Kid. <laughs> so I went with a bad attitude, right? I didn't want to go. Um, and here's what we did. We dug into what the Bible says about money. I mean, everything. This course leaves like no stone unturned. And it turns out that the Bible has a lot to say about money and wealth, a lot, like more on this subject matter than maybe anything else. Uh, the other thing I learned was, uh, you know, we, we learned to start better preparing for our futures. We also, at the same time, simultaneously learned to become more generous. That's what happened with us as we went through this. And so those two things happened at the same time. And so who's really going to say, like our 401ks and our 403bs, our pension plans, our IRAs, these things aren't important. No, none of us are going to say, we're not going to say that. This farmer, although he's wise, he's a wise businessman, although he's wise to think about and plan for his family's future, the problem with him is he did not have a proper relationship to his rapidly accumulating uh, wealth. And this leads to God calling him out. So now we're going to look at the ways in which he was foolish. And here's two, two big ones. He is completely preoccupied with himself. He has no regard whatsoever of God or neighbor. And the second thing is he believes that his wealth can and will secure his future. These are the two things that he's going to get called out on. So listen to this. In three sentences that he speaks, he says, uh, he uses the uh, pronoun I six times, and he uses my five times. Three sentences. How many of us want to talk to this guy? <laughs> Who in three sentences has talked about himself 11 times? You know? And how, how awesome he is and how much stuff he has. Like, this is not a person like these. To me, this is like this dizzying. He says, my goods, my life, my soul, my barns, my grain. Everything is about him. And so think about it, right? He does not, he consults only with himself. 
He doesn't consult his faith community, he doesn't consult the scriptures, he doesn't consult his family or God, and this is where we start to go that's really highly problematic. God doesn't call him a fool because he's successful. He's called foolish because he worships the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. First, there is no recognition of God whatsoever. He never mentions God. He never shows any gratitude for this good fortune that he has. He either attributes his wealth to his own smarts, to his own hard work, or to blind luck. It doesn't really matter. He misses the boat because he does not understand that his abundance is a gift from God. James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift is from above. Every. And so one of my early mentors, the late Charles E. Shields, used to say this in worship every single Sunday. He would say every single Sunday, all good gifts come from God. He said it so often with such conviction that I couldn't help but learning this important truth from him. Now, I say it as much, if not more, than he did for two reasons. One, I want my kids to know it, because it's true. And two, I need to be reminded of this all the time. So I want my kids to know it, but I also want to remind myself, all good gifts come from God. And so when we start believing that we've earned it, or we deserve it, or that we've worked harder than someone else, or we're smarter, or we're better, or we're luckier, we slip into the foolishness of this guy, this self-sufficiency then we're in jeopardy of missing Jesus' point. And so not only does he refuse to acknowledge the giver and his selfishness, he also shows no consideration for other people. No awareness that there's this idea of stewardship or responsibility that comes with what he has been given. He doesn't understand that sharing is, anybody? Caring. He doesn't get it. The only conceivable answer to the problem that he has is to tear down his barns and build bigger ones. It's the only thing he can come up with. This is what the Bible calls greed, or just this squandered gift that this guy has been given. 1 Peter 4.10, another simple one, says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. In a proper biblical relationship with our stuff, we have these two dimensions. We have this vertical dimension. Think about this question. How does our wealth connect or disconnect us from God the giver? We have the horizontal dimension. How does our wealth, our stuff, connect or disconnect us to our neighbor or to those in need? So we're supposed to consider some tough questions. How might what I've been given help those in need? What's my responsibility to my neighbor? This man is cut off. He's isolated. He believes that his life is his own, which leads him to his second big foolish mistake. He believes that his wealth can secure his future. Now, this one is tough. I think this one's harder. Can wealth be helpful when it comes to our futures and our kids? Heck yeah, it can, right? This, this makes this one more difficult in my mind. Here's this guy's thinking. He says, if I can just store up enough goods, If I can just save up enough for retirement, then what does he say? He says, I can relax. I can sit back and relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. This is where that comes from, right? God overhears this man. He cuts short this dream of living the rest of his days on an island paradise, sipping umbrella drinks and leading the good life. This one hits really close to home for me. Anybody who knows me knows that this is exactly 
what I want to do. <laughs> it's what I long to do on vacation or in retirement. I love to eat, drink, and be merry. Seriously, like ask anybody who knows me knows this about me. I, it's nothing to hide. My vacation motto is go places and eat things, okay? And it's not a joke. I've had that same motto like for 30 years. Um, this, it, I have to think about this. This is, this is really difficult for me um, because there's no doubt that wealth can help with this. But here's the question. Can it really secure our life? Can, the, the, the deeper question, what this is getting at is, can wealth save us, right? Anybody watch the NBA draft? So I'm a fan. Scott's not here today. He'd be wearing his Kawhi jersey right now. Uh, he's pretty happy. But Scott and I were like texting on draft day. Um, like on that one day, lives, people's lives were changed, transformed. Their futures were in this in financially secured um, as these top players were drafted into millions and millions of dollars instantly from nothing to that. But the truth remains, no matter who we are, no matter what we have, we humans are extremely fragile and vulnerable, wealthy and poor alike. And so our lives are fraught with uncertainty. So we naturally, we strive to try to control as much as we possibly can. And what do we do? We just, we work harder, you know? We try to work harder. We try to accomplish more. We work smarter. And so the foolishness of this guy is believing that wealth can insulate us from the difficult parts of life that happen indiscriminately to all of us. And so our foolishness consists of this. It just says that we're ascribing finite things infinite value. And that's the problem with this guy. Unfortunately, the wealthy farmer would not live to see the morning sunrise. It turns out that he was just as fragile, just as vulnerable as everyone else, and that his safety net, his bigger barns, could not save him because the truth is only God can save. And so the story like swings all the way back at the end. It goes back to inheritance, asks a, a good question. Who's, whose grain is it now? It says. Whose barns, whose goods, whose wealth is it now? And we don't know. The scripture doesn't say, but there's one thing we're certain of. We know whose it's not. It's not his. He's not taking it with him. So I want to wrap up with a couple thoughts, a few questions, and one story. After studying it closely and kind of really letting this seep into my own life, like I said, some of this is hard for me too. Um, th the real simple of it is this is kind of where I land. A proper relationship with our stuff has to take these three things into consideration. And if it doesn't, we need to rethink it. We have to take into account, yes, ourselves, but also God and our neighbor. And that order is out of whack. We need to change the order too. So here's a few questions that I found that were kind of necessary to grapple with. Really simple. What's my responsibility to God when it comes to my wealth? What's my responsibility to my neighbor or to those in need in our community and around the world because of what I've been given? And what's my responsibility to myself and my family? That's the proper order. God, neighbor, self. And so we read about, we talk about, we pay good money for financial advice because we want to be wise about our futures. If anybody needs one, Scott Newhouse, that's what he does. Uh, plug for Scott, since he's not here. The larger question is this, how do I invest my whole life? My gifts, all that I have, how do I invest 
these things for maximum return on investment? How do we invest ourselves and our treasure for self, neighbor, and God? So foolishness is shown as making choices without love or regard of the giver or neighbor. And so maybe wisdom is making decisions with our stuff in regard to loving God, self, and neighbor and keeping all three of those things in mind. Usually what lies behind excessive accumulation is just fear and anxiety. There's just a mindset of scarcity instead of abundance. And so I wonder if the antidote for this is to live generously, to live lavishly, to live joyfully. Years ago, I witnessed this to finish here. Um, I was in Haiti, and the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, has anyone been to Haiti? It is, like, it is hard to put this into words. Like, I went through some training and thought I had a pretty good idea of what I was going to experience. Um, but when you see people in remote villages with dirt floors, no electricity, no water, uh, absolutely nothing. It just, it's shocking and heartbreaking all at the same time. And there was this one day where we had a long hike. Uh, we were going out to a remote village, this village called Sheridan. It took a, a number of hours and we get there and we're super thirsty and hungry uh, and whatever. And we're greeted and welcomed into the home of a, of a farmer, I might add. And uh, a woman greeted us there and she welcomed us into her home uh, by giving us this perfect, round, frosted blue cake. Never seen anything like it. It's the most beautiful cake I've ever seen. Absolutely incredible. You have to ask a couple of really good questions at this point. Like, how, how'd she do it? She has no water, no electricity, no cars, no bikes, no grocery store, no oven, nothing that we would use to bake a cake. This woman has none of it. It turns out she got up at 3 a.m. and she walked about four miles to the nearest stream with a five-gallon bucket. She got her water, put it on her head, walked four miles back with a bucket that probably weighed 40 pounds. How'd she bake the cake? I have no idea. Not a clue. No idea how this woman did it. She's a woman of faith, though, I can tell you that. And I can tell you another thing. She saw the world as a place of God's abundance, even though she had nothing. You should have seen the smile on this woman's face when she presented us with this perfect little blue cake. She invested what she had out of love of God and love of neighbor. She opened up her home and her hands and all of the things that she had for us whom she had never even met before. And so it's not a matter of how much or how little we have we're all called to this kingdom-like relationship with our stuff. We're all to consider the gifts that we've been given um, and how those gifts can either be used to connect or disconnect us from God, neighbor, and really self. When you want to talk about the psychological aspect of this, we could. So live generously, live lavishly, live joyfully. Will you pray with me? Good and gracious God, help us to be more aware of all the good and perfect gifts that come from you. God, loosen our white knuckled grips that clutch what we have. Help us to open our hands in the kind of generosity that gives itself away for your sake and for the sake of our neighbors. Amen.